Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 1 Samuel 16 says this, The Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with oil. So fill your flask with oil and go. And I think this morning God wants to fill your flask with some oil, with the oil of the Holy Spirit, with the oil of anointing, with the oil of a new season. So, uh, look, I'm excited for what God's going to do. Uh, the, the, uh, where I want you to turn in the Word of God is to Genesis in 30, chapter 39. Look, um, I think it's been maybe, I've, I've never been at Equippers Christchurch for a morning service before. This is my first time, and I'm really, really excited. So what happens, for those of you who don't know me, when I get excited, I start to yell, and sometimes I start to spit, and then it gets a little bit, you know, gets a little bit strange up here. So what I'm going to do for the first, like, seven minutes is just introduce myself to you, so you know that I'm just like a normal person. Um, and then when I get excited and stuff, you won't be like, oh, girl, calm down. Um, uh, someone get us some water or something. So I'm Esther, and um, Equippers has been my home, my church, for 18 years. And, um, and I love that. I love the house of God, and I love God. Um, I grew up going to church, uh, but not this kind of church. <laughs> I grew up going to a Methodist church, a Fijian one. So, like, really different to this. And, um, and I went to Sunday school every Sunday, and um, my mum, she's the, she's the daughter of a minister, and uh, my grandfather wasn't just a minister of one church, he was uh, a, a man who oversaw about 60 churches in Fiji, so he's, my, my grandfather's incredible, um, and my grandfather's the one who named me Esther, um, Esther Rose, uh, because he said that I would be like a queen A queen um, who would be born from the garden of God's delight. So that's, you know, I, I love I love my family and I love where I've come from. I love my heritage. Um, my particular flavor of chocolate is Fijian, um, like your pastor here. Um, it's my uncle. <laughs> and um, and I, I just really, I, I love, I love God. Um, however, our grow, my growing up, our, our experience in growing up, um, it wasn't fantastic. Um, we, I had many, many good times. I have two older brothers, and like I'm the youngest and the only girl. So you can imagine. And then my name's Esther, like Queen. So you can imagine how annoying I was to be um, the youngest and the only girl, and now I'm a queen. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit where my kind of spoiledness comes from. Um, so anyway, we moved to New Zealand. I was born in Fiji, and we moved to New Zealand um, in the late 80s. Um, and when we moved to New Zealand, there's this thing that humans tend to do, is when we go to a new place, we tend to furiously flock to what is familiar, right? We try and just find something that's familiar, and we just try and um, just, just be there all the time. Um, I don't know if... Um, you come here kind of every week, and whether you kind of sit in the same place or with the same people all the time, you know how you do that sometimes. Um, and so that's what we do. So as when my family moved to New Zealand, um, we quickly found a Fijian Methodist church because that's what we knew. 
Um, and so we started going to this church, and I loved going to this church, and I loved going to church um, because all of my cousins were there, and all of my friends were there, um, and the, well, the whole service was in Fijian, so I didn't understand any of it, um, and it was great times. My mum was a Sunday school teacher, and my dad um, was in the choir, and we'd go to church every Sunday. Uh, however, um, I found out one day that my dad was human. We all know how shocking that is when as a kid you realize that your parents are human. And so one day I found out he was human. Now his particular brand of humanity um, was fantastic and I love my dad. Um, But also, as with all of humanity, there are parts of us that aren't quite okay. And for my dad, um, my dad's particular struggle was with anger. And so my dad was a very, very, very angry man, a very loving man, but when he got angry, it got scary really quickly. Um, And that kind of anger um, meant that we grew up in a home of um, a lot of violence and abuse. And um, for me, as I realized my dad's humanity, I'm just a kid, I don't understand that. And I don't know how to process that. And I don't... um, or this is the way that I'm learning about love and about relationships and about family. And this is the way I'm being shaped. Um, and I can't understand violence. Uh, but then my mum is the Sunday school teacher, you see. And so I go to church every Sunday and I go to Sunday school and I learn about God. And the Sunday school I went to was not like kids' church here. <laughs> right? <laughs> it just, in my Sunday school, we, had, we did exams. Anyone? Scripture Union? Anyone? Yeah, sister. We we did exams in my Sunday school. And then after your exams, you did prize giving in front of the whole church about your results. Yeah, it's the kind of, yeah. That's why I know my word, because I did exams. (laughs) I did exams on the word. (laughs) Anyway. So I I learned about God, and I learned about the character of God, and I learned about Jesus, and there there were the scripture I knew, um, and it was very conflicting the older I got, even though I was still a child, very conflicting learning about a loving God, a healing, restoring, miracle-working God, and then living my life, and being alive in my everyday, and witnessing abuse, and witnessing violence, and witnessing what was a real experience of love. And so what it created in me was an incredible gap. It created in me a gap that says, well, this is who God is, but this is what I experienced. Now there's a gap. And that gap gets really painful. That gap gets scary. That gap is that that gap is what brought me to my knees. That gap was discouraging and disappointing. That gap colored my view of God and of everyone around me. Now here's the thing. The thing is, we're all sitting here with gaps. Right? We're all sitting here with gaps because we come to church. And we sing songs about the reckless love of God, but we all have gaps in our life where we're not experiencing it. And it's the gap 
that we just try to do as humans everything possible to avoid, right? I don't want to feel that gap because it hurts. I don't want to feel that gap because it's offensive. I don't want to know about that gap because if I know about it, then I'm going to have to do something about it, you know? I just, it's the gap. And we try and avoid that gap because, to be honest, that gap is just uncomfortable and we are creatures of comfort. However, the gap, that's where the miracle is. The gap, that's where the breakthrough is. The gap, that's where God lives. He's all in that gap. He is all in that gap. There is what we know of God. There is what we are currently experiencing. And then there's the gap. And in that gap, it requires faith. Right? It doesn't require knowledge. It requires faith. But as a kid, I didn't have faith. I just had hurt and wounds. And then I walked into what was, used to be called Auckland City Church. It's now Equippers. I walked into Equippers. And it was scary. I walked in um, in my Fijian Methodist church outfit. (laughs) And I looked at my dad. By this time, my parents had divorced and my dad was church shopping. And I looked at my dad because everyone looked like you. And I thought, with my shiny shoes and my shoulder pads and my frills, you know, I looked at my dad and I said, is there something you should have told us? <laughs> My dad was like, what, what? I don't, I don't know. He, he didn't get it. And um, I remember walking into church, and first of all, it was really loud. Like, I'm used to hymns. And I walk in, it was really loud. And uh, I remember just being like, shh. <laughs> you know, like, like, this is the house of God, shush. You have no respect. You know, I'm like, what is going on here? And then the music started, and it was so weird to me. Uh, Now, some of you guys will know who this is. Some of you won't, because they started doing this gospel praise song, but the hook of that song came from from another song of a famous rapper, Tupac. And so I'm sitting there going, are they playing Tupac in church? Kind of, where am I? What is this? And then people were dancing like clapping their hands and dancing. And I was sitting there going, well, you can't dance. Why are all these people dancing? They can't dance. They should really stop. You guys have to know how weird you look to new people. You have to know how this whole situation looks weird. And then the music slowed down and then people started lifting their hands. And I was thinking, I mean, I was like, do you have a question? Like, what is, what is happening? I have no idea what is going on. You people like lifting their hands. And I, I, you know, I half thought they were going to start going like this, like a concert. Is that what's going on here? I don't know. Um, and then the preacher started preaching and it was in English. Blow my mind. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and this whole experience is freaking me out and blowing my mind. And the preacher starts talking about Jesus. And uh, starts talking about Jesus and God in a way that I'd never really heard it before. And by the end of it, he gave this, he gave an altar call. And at the end of that altar call, uh, I, I remember sitting at the back. And by this time, I'm 14 years old. And I had really had enough about hearing about Jesus. 
and I was really hurt and I was really uh, broken. And um, after kind of divorce and custody battles and things like that, I remember sitting at the back of the church and just saying to God, um, I, like, I don't know if you're real and I don't think I care. Um, right, like I'm 14, sass queen. And um, I just, I don't think I care. Um, but because of my upbringing and because I was so desperate, um, I remember sitting in the seats and just saying, God, here's what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to give you my whole life. Like, that, like this preacher person saying, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to, on Sunday you'll find me at church. Um, there's, uh, I'm going to do everything that your word says. I'll do it all. Um, and I'll give my whole life to you. Um, but I remember saying, the, the deal is, God, right? I don't even know if that's theologically correct. I don't think 14-year-olds care. And I, I just said, the deal is this. If you leave me like my dad, if you break my heart, if you don't come through on your promises, then I will know you're not real. I, I will, I'll know you're not real. And then I'll be able to live my life, or not, or I or or, or I can stop living life. That's fine. And uh, I was fourteen then. I'm a lot older now. <laughs> I'm thirty-one. I know. I don't look it. <laughs> and I <laughs> look. It's really not a moment where I should be cracking jokes. Uh, it's just not. It, it's definitely the spirit in this house that makes me crack jokes. <laughs> the thing is, I don't, look, I, I, I honestly don't know that much about God. Of all that there is to know about God, I don't know that much. But what I do know is that he keeps promises to 14-year-olds. I know, I know that he meets you in your gap. I know that. And from, from 14 years old now, I'm 31. And this is the reason why you still find me in his house. This is the reason why my hands will still be lifted and I will still sing. And I will, because he still kept his, he kept his end of the deal. And I'm just still keeping mine. That is the entirety of my life. That is the reason why I do all that I do. It is as simple as God keeps his promises. Does, has that meant that life has been without pain or easy? Certainly not. Certainly not. But even in my valleys, he's been faithful. Even in my lowest times, he has been there. And he's walked with me. And that's why I'm here today. So hi, I'm Esther. <laughs> And it's so nice to meet you all. Okay, I just wasted a lot of time cracking jokes. We're going to go to the Word of God. So I hope you, that was a long time for you to get to Genesis 39. <laughs> but I hope you're all there and now, now you know me. Um, like I said, I, I, this, is, this is the story <clears throat> of Joseph. And Joseph is the ultimate dreamer, right? He's the ultimate dreamer. This, this dreamer's dream um, is kept him steady 
through the pit, through Potiphar's house, through the prison, right through to the palace. This kind of dreamer is what we need in in Christchurch. This kind of dreamer God wants to restore in you today. That kind of dreamer that's so convinced, like, incredibly convinced that no matter what mountain or valley or challenge or success that comes across your path, the dream is the dream, right? And, 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 and you do all that you can to just stick with it and, and go for it. And I love it. What you got to understand with Joseph is that there was famine coming to the land like years, years, years in advance, but God had prepared a solution 30 years earlier with a dreamer, with a dreamer. What you've got to understand is there are, there are problems in our families, in our community, in our society that God already knew was going to be here. God is not surprised about the fact that young people are, are, are suicidal. He's just not surprised by it. But what he's done is 15 years ago, pulled together a team of people and said, you're going to be the ones to bring solution, to bring change. And now we're on the revolution tour. I myself spoke to tens of thousands of young people in the last two weeks. And testimony after testimony. Can I really take credit for that? No, I can't really. But I know that what God did in me as a 14-year-old was preparing me for something now. I never knew. I never knew it. But we've got to be awake and we've got to realize our dreams are not for us to sit comfortably on a throne. Our dreams are to be solutions for the community that we're in. They're to be answers for for, for, for what the world is asking. And the world is asking for answers. The communities that we are in, they're asking for answers. Oh Lord, another school shooting in the USA in Santa Fe this weekend. The world is asking for answers. And I pray that we have an answer that's not just pointing out problems, but we have, we, I have God. Okay, good times. Genesis 39, go there. Now there are three lessons that I believe every dreamer Because I think people, I know people have dreams. But there are three lessons that Joseph learned before he saw the dream shift from something that was in his mind or in his heart to something that he saw as a reality. And these three lessons are really what I want us to um, to open up today. So if you're taking notes, um, we are starting in Genesis 39. In verse 1, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, by the way, he was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, you all know, because his brothers wanted to kill him, right? And then his brothers were like, oh, that's no fun. Oh, let's throw him into a pit and then sell him to some traders. At least we can make money, right? So he's already in a bad space. So he was sold. And then Potiphar, the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, Uh, He was sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Um, Verse 2. This is insane, church. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. (laughs) The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. 
The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. I, I think it's really cool that success comes when God is with you. you I mean, you're good looking, but that's not why you're going to be successful. Uh, you're pretty good at your job, but that's not why you're su- You'll be successful. Can we just talk about the fact that the success, that he was successful even in his slavery? What do we do when we're in chains? <laughs> For real, we moan. We moan and we complain and, you know, rightly so, I'm in chains. Or even in your slavery, or even while you can feel the limitation, even while you can feel, I know I'm in a valley, you can still know the blessing of God. You can still know the goodness of God. You can still know the abundance of God. I pray we are people that even while we're in, we might be in that gap, in that, in that place that feels like I'm a slave to time, I'm a slave to expectation, I'm a slave to my finance or whatever. Even in that gap, we will still know the blessing of God in it, in Jesus' name. Okay, cool. Uh, so there he was in Potiphar's house. Um, and then uh, he's hanging out, doing his thing, taking care of all of Potiphar's affairs. This is Esther's version of the Bible. Read your own. Okay. Um, now, here we go. In verse 7, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Hmm. I mean, the Bible mentions important things like this. And Potiphar's wife, say, "Uh uh-oh, that's right. Potiphar's wife soon became to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. (laughs) Who is this chick? Right, anyway... Uh, Moving on quickly, Uh, verse 8, but Joseph, verse 8, but Joseph refused. Now, uh, I'm just going to pause there. The lesson, firstly, there is the lesson of identity. Write that down. The first lesson of a dreamer is the lesson of identity. Now, uh, I'm a little bit of a geek. I like to read and research and study a little. Uh, and that, that, that lesson of identity, I say that because uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, that, you know, the original language was Hebrew. Um, and when he, the, 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 the Bible was recited, it wasn't read like I was just reading. It was actually sung. It was, it was like chanted, you know. Um, and so along with words, um, at times the Hebrew language would have accents on the different words to dictate to the reader how they should chant or sing, right, this particular scripture. Now, those three words, but Joseph refused. Those, that, that word refused is a lot more than we actually realize. In the Hebrew language, that word refused um, actually has an accent on top of it that's like a, it's a zigzag, right, on top of it, and that zigzag is called a shell shallot. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Don't fall asleep on me, right? But that shell shallot indicates to the reader that this is an important moment, and you, when, you, when you sing or say this word, you, it's a long note because you need to think about that. 
That's pretty much what it means. It is that, that shall shalot, it's a long note. You need to think about that. That shall shalot in the first five books of the Bible only appears four times. And every time that shall shalot appears, it appears every time in those four times to indicate that this is a moment of critical transition. This is the moment of critical transition right here. And those three lines means this, an action, a temptation, and a response. That's what it is. So here is Potiphar's wife, beautiful and the queen. And she just, she's, oh, she's like looking at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, Joseph. Can you imagine Joseph? Did, did he not have every right? My brothers have tried to kill me. I've been in a pit. I'm now a slave. I have every right for this bit of comfort. I have every right to take advantage of this. Who knows if my life is ever gonna change? Who knows if my life will ever be different? Who knows if I'll get any comfort anywhere else? God gave me a dream and look at where I am now. Look at this gap. It's too big. It's too much. I deserve this. But it's the moment of critical transition. There is an action. And 100% there's a temptation. That is humanity. The question is, what is your response going to be? In that moment, Joseph was choosing who he's going to be. That's the moment you choose your identity. That's the moment you choose who you're going to be. Man, I, I know people in this room, you may have been through things, but when challenge comes, that's the opportunity. Who are you gonna be? Who are you gonna be? Are you gonna be the person that complains or are you gonna be someone who speaks with the language of heaven and out comes praise? Who are you gonna be? Are you gonna be the person of faith? Are you gonna be the one that stands again, hopes again, dreams again, goes again? Who are you gonna be? A dreamer is a person who chooses. This is who I am. The dream is priority. The dream is what moves me. The dream is what gets me up in the morning. The dream makes me say, no, no, that's not who I am. I'm not a man of compromise. I am not a man of short-term satisfaction. I'm not that person. This is who I am. My past doesn't tell me who I am. My, my father doesn't tell me who I am. How my brothers treated me, they don't tell me who I am. I choose who I am. Come on, you choose it this morning. You choose church. That's the lesson of the identity. Come on, we choose who we're gonna be in this season. We choose the response. That is the kindness of God, is we choose so maybe this morning is a shall shallot moment. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Okay, good times. I told you I start yelling. Okay, lesson number two. Joseph refused. But Potiphar's wife kept putting pressure on Joseph. We know what happens. Uh, one day, when no one was around, she grabbed him by the cloak and says, come on, sleep with me. And he freaks out and he runs um, and leaves his cloak. He runs out like half naked. And he's, you know, 
And then Potiphar comes home. Potiphar's wife lies and says that Joseph tried uh, to touch her. And Potiphar gets mad and he throws Joseph in a prison. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic after choosing the righteous way. Now I'm in a prison. Wonderful. And in the prison, in verse 21, it says this. Uh, But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. And while he was there in the prison, Joseph served. We know the, uh, the cupbearer and the baker of the king are there. And Joseph is serving. And he's serving in the prison so much that he ends up getting put in charge of the prison. What a position. I'm currently in prison right now. And, but I'm, at least I'm king of my prison. I love Joseph. (laughs) But really quickly, lesson two is this. Lesson one is the lesson of identity. Lesson two is the lesson of service. And even while he was in prison, what I love was that Joseph served. While he was in prison, he still continued to serve. Do you know your struggle? Your struggle, your current challenge, it doesn't actually disqualify you from serving. Join a hosting team. <laughs> join, join the welcome team. Join the kids team. The struggle that you're in, it doesn't disqualify you from service. But while you serve, God might just promote you. But while you serve, even while you feel restricted, God might just promote you. And I want to encourage you here, dreamers, serve. <laughs> and not just in, on a Sunday, but I pray that you would be the kind of people that serve your household, that serve your workplace, that serve your bosses, that serve your family. I pray that we would be people of service. The reward for, for learning the lesson of identity was more responsibility. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and here's the thing. I think in every stage of life that we're in, we've got to remember that all the time God is trying to teach us something. It's taken me a long time to figure this out because I really love tantrums. And I really love just stamping my feet and having a scream at God. Um, <laughs> amen. There are people here who agree with me. I love this honest church. I love that. I just love stamping my feet and just being like, God, can you just like click your fingers, make it happen? Be really nice. But what I've learned now that I'm the ripe old age of 31, what I've learned is that all the time God is trying to teach me something. And so quickly now I ask God, what are you trying to teach me? God, let me learn this lesson because I need to get out of this prison. (laughs) God, let me learn it. Let me learn it quick. Let me learn it good. Back to front, left to right. Let me learn it. I want to learn this lesson while I'm in this prison. I want to learn this lesson while I'm going through this pain. Recently, I've learned the privilege of pain. And it's not a fantastic, comfortable place. But I've learned the incredible privilege of going through pain the incredible privilege of having my heart shattered 
and the incredible privilege of knowing that in that place, God holds me and he speaks to me and I know his heart and I know his voice better than I did before. And oh God, am I thankful for this pain. And oh God, am I thankful for this prison. I know that sounds strange and counterculture, but dreamers understand the privilege of pain. Okay, I've got to move on super quick. Okay. Joseph knew. Well, here's the thing. Joseph was on the way to the palace, but if you can't serve in the prison, you won't serve in the palace. (laughs) If you can't serve when there's only a few, you won't have the privilege of having the influence over many. I, I, um, I, this year, I remember doing an Easter camp this year. I did two. So over one weekend, I spoke to 8,000 young people. 3,000 in one place, 5,000 in another. And I remember sitting here going, man, this is a miracle that all these teenagers just listen. <laughs> no one's forcing them to. What a miracle. And often I stand on stages like that and think, how on earth did I get here? Someone's going to find out real soon I've got no idea what I'm doing. I often ask myself that question, how did I get here? What on earth? And I, I personally think it's because, look, I, I, I know how to serve five people. I, I, I know. I know how to love others. And it doesn't matter if there's several thousand or a music class that I did this week of 10 students that I just had to make up a lesson, an hour lesson. So I didn't know I was doing it. Okay, yeah, I'll take the class for an hour. All right, let's learn some music. But I didn't say no. Why? Because I'm here to serve. And it would be my privilege to give a teacher an hour off of school and I'll love on her kids for her. I'll do that. Um, In Genesis chapter four, we know the story. It's of a Canaan, Abel, right? And we know that's where... uh, Cain and Abel are asked to give an offering and and Abel gives an offering that's pleasing to God. Cain gives an offering that's not. Um, Cain gets all jealous and then Cain takes his jealousy like over 100 and then kills his brother. Um, And then after that, God punishes Cain. And the punishment that God gives Cain is very interesting. Uh, God says to Cain um, that you will always be a wanderer and you'll never be able to build anything. Now that's quite interesting It's interesting because it doesn't fit the punishment for murder because we know the punishment for murder is an eye for an eye, right? We, we, We know that. So it's interesting. So I'm asking myself the question, what is God punishing if he's not punishing murder? What is the punishment here? What is the lesson here? So God says this to Cain. And Cain, Cain, you're never going to be able to settle. You're always going to wonder. Whatever you plant in the ground, it's never going to grow. Now, in the very next verse, this is what happens. It says that Cain slept with his wife, and he has a kid, and the kid's name is Enoch. And then after that, Cain builds a city and names it Enoch. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure God said, Cain, you're not not going to be able to do that. And then a verse later, Cain does it. It's curious to me. <laughs> Do you know what the word Enoch means? It means I have been educated. And so names are very important because Cain 
The name Cain means I have acquired greed. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm going through. And so I'm annoyed and I can't celebrate Abel and Abel's success because it's about me and what I don't have. And I have not acquired the approving that God gave Abel. So I'm going to kill him. So what was God punishing? God was not punishing murder. What God was punishing was that we that Cain would live his life in a way that would cut off relationship for his own gain. That it is a violation of the kingdom that we would live our lives in such a way that would be about us and not about others. So what happens is Cain has a kid and he calls his kid Enoch and then he builds a city called Enoch. I've learned my lesson, God. So now I dedicate my whole life to serving others. And what is the best way to serve others? Build a city. I build a city. And if I build a city and call it Enoch, then I'll spend the rest of my life serving that city. I'm not making this up. This is rabbinical commentary. Just in case you guys like, that's stupid. That's rabbinical commentary from the Old Testament. And so it makes sense that while Joseph is in the prison, that God is teaching him, it's not about you. It's not about you. Our lives, we're, we're, we, our greatest privilege is to serve others. That is our greatest privilege. How's your service? Is the lesson of identity and two is the lesson of service. And the last lesson is a great one. It's my least favourite. In Genesis in chapter 40, verse one, three words, sometime later. Sometime later, in Genesis chapter 41, some more encouraging words. Two full years after that, Lesson number three is the lesson of waiting. We know, we know that Joseph was 30 years old when he served as the Prime Minister or the second in command to Pharaoh. We know that two years before that he was in prison and he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, so that made him 28. And we know that he was 17 years old when God gave him the dream. So that was um, then 11 years. Sometime later is the lesson of waiting. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the word wait means. Uh, wait, this is the dictionary definition. A verb, we all know what a verb is, right? It's an, it's an action word, yeah. A verb without an object is to remain inactive or in a state of repose until something expected happens. Or to wait, a verb with an object is to continue as one who is in expectation of. Now there's two kinds of waiting. There's this waiting
And then there's the waiting as one who continues in expectation any moment now, God, you are gonna break through. But until then, I serve. Until then, I give. Until then, I love. Until then, I share my life generously. We are people who need to understand the lesson of waiting is not standing still. The lesson of waiting is we continue as one who is in expectation of, why do you think we're fasting? Why? Because we're not standing around hoping heaven's gonna open. No, God, we are in expectation of a miracle building, but we're not just gonna sit around. God, God, I'm gonna fast. God, I'm gonna give. God, I'm gonna move by faith. And can you see me waiting in expectation, God? Can you see me waiting? Come on, this is how we wait. I don't know what it felt like to be in that prison. I don't know what it felt like. The Word of God says that the cupbearer and the chief baker are sitting there and Joseph walks by one day and he says to them, why do you look so sad? (laughs) If I was them, I'd be like, cause we're in a prison? That's why. But here's Joseph like, why do you look so sad? I mean, we may be in a prison, but God's about to come through any minute now. And I've been saying that for 11 years. And so this morning, we need to understand that when we wait on God, He adds weight to us. So by the time Joseph became second in command, He knew how to serve Pharaoh. He was one with solutions. He was one who was able to say, this is what I I believe we should do. And he was able to save a nation. Why don't you stand to your feet? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.